0: Good morning, everyone, and uh, my welcome to Jerrys. And uh, it's good to see everyone and uh, have us together as a church family this morning. Uh, we're turning to Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, verses 28 to 34. Just seven verses this morning, and it's a reading that puts everything into perspective. It's a passage that asks the question, "What is it that really matters?" and it answers the question as well. There are moments, aren't there, in life when you ask that question, what is it that really matters? Uh, maybe it's sitting in a hospital by a bedside. I remember uh, someone in my family rushed off the hospital in an ambulance and sitting there beside the bed and thinking, now I know what really matters. It puts all the rubbish into perspective. What is really important? That's the question this morning. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus is asked a question which goes like this. What is the most important thing God wants? Sweep away everything else that's secondary, all the rubbish and all that's insignificant. What is it that really matters? And Jesus says it's a loving relationship with God and a loving relationship with neighbor. That's an easy thing to say, not so so much an easy thing to understand. And we're going to have a look at it and look at this text together. And just to put it into context, what's going on here in this passage? Well, it's just a few days before Jesus' crucifixion. He's standing in the temple, surrounded by these religious leaders, and they're asking him questions. And they're trying to trap Jesus, and they're trying to trick him. And ultimately, they're trying to kill him. They want an excuse to get rid of Jesus. So all these questions are coming. Hostile questions. The hands are up one after another. Jesus, we've got another one for you. And they're being clever and asking these questions. It's like a rough episode of question time. And There's the public figure on the spot, and all the hands are going up, all the complaints, all the accusations. And here was Jesus with a very hostile, intelligent group of people, and he answers their questions, and you see that at the very end, they're left speechless. I've never seen anything like that on question time. I've never seen any public figure deal with questions quite like that, that people just put their heads down at the end and they say, nothing. Who is this man? Well, having said that, the man's question in verse 28 is much more friendly than the other questions. And his question in verse 28 goes like this. Of all the commandments, which is the most important? It's a very good question, very helpful question, because there's 613 commandments in the Old Testament. So Jesus, boil it down for us. What is the bottom line? Help me out. What is it that I really have to do? 613 is a bit much. What really matters? Well, we do that, don't we? We want to pin things down, especially in times of clarity, in times of tragedy. What really matters? What's important in life? And as far as I can see, Jesus answers the question in two parts. First of all, he tells us what God wants, and then secondly, he tells us how we're to do what God wants. So what God wants and and how we do what God wants. First of all, what God really wants. Chapter 12, verse 29. He's just been asked the question, and he says, the the most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So here's the question, what is the most important command? And Jesus says, love God and love your neighbor. And many people would say that is excellent. That is very good. Maybe we'd leave the God bit, that's sort of unnecessary. But loving neighbor, certainly, very good. Life's all about love. That's what matters, really. Yes, Jesus, we agree. But I want you to notice that it's not what Jesus says. He doesn't begin with a command at all, does he? In fact, he begins the answer with information about God, which is really surprising. These people uh, came to Jesus before this, and they said to Jesus, just tell us what is the the things that we need to do to please God, sort of guarantee that we'll have a life beyond this one. And Jesus says, you don't have to do anything just believe what I tell you. And they go away disappointed. It's like people coming up and saying, what check can I write for God? Just tell me the amount, what do I need to give? And Jesus says, no, I want you to read the check that God has written for you. So Jesus doesn't begin with a command with what you need to do for God. He begins with information about God. He says, hear, O Israel, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Basically, Jesus is saying to these people, look, I don't expect you to love God with all your heart, and I don't expect you to love your neighbor until you know who God is, until you have this information that you need to know. Now, I know that everyone here watches Take Me Out. There's no need to pretend that you haven't seen it. I know that you do watch it, and uh, there's nothing to be ashamed of. Well, on this show, uh, they've got maybe 20 or so girls lined up behind some lights, and they get this guy out to the front, and uh, you know the catchphrase, don't you? No likey, no lighty, that's it, absolutely right. Don't pretend that you haven't seen it. And uh, if these girls, like this guy, this hunk standing in front of them, they keep their lights on, and if they don't like the look of him, they'll put their lights off, and at the end, one of them gets to take him off on a date. Now, when this guy walks out in front of these 20 girls, or whatever, what is the first thing that happens on the show? Well, they ask him questions, don't they? And they say, well, where are you from? What do you do for a living? What's your sort of party trick? They need to get to know this guy if there's any hope of a relationship. If they're going to fall in love with this guy, they need to know things about him. And Jesus says, you know, if you're going to love God, you need to know things about him. So he starts with information about God, not a command. And what Jesus does is he takes us back into the Old Testament uh, to a book in Deuteronomy, and he quotes a little bit of it. And he's trying to explain this to us, and he says, it's all about what God has done for his people. That's what Deuteronomy was about. Looking back at how God had made his people, looking back at how God had saved his people, and therefore how his people were to love him. And Jesus quotes this and he says, Before I tell you about you loving God, I want to tell you about God loving you. So he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And what's Jesus saying? Well, amongst other things, he's saying that God is unique. God is the one God. Out of all the gods out there, he's the one that you should fall in love with. He's the Lord. Forget about all the other things that you rely on. And we mentioned some of the good things in life, didn't we, earlier? Like family, chocolate, and uh, food, and things like that. We rely on some of those things, don't we? Look for love in some of those things. And it is, we do get love and family. But what is most important? What really matters when you boil it all down? There is only one God, one Lord. And actually, more than that, verse 29, it says he's our God. The Lord, our God. He's the one who's not just out there and distant, but he's the one who comes looking for relationship with us. He's the one who brought his people out of slavery to have a relationship, to begin a covenant. He's the one who initiates relationship, even when we don't. And he's the one who keeps the relationship going, because we can't. And he does this at great cost to himself, and there's very little in it for him. But he's our God, and we're his people. Jesus is saying, you don't need any other. There isn't any other one. He is everything you need. And therefore, if you give him your heart and give him your mind and your soul and your strength, you're honoring him, aren't you? Because he is the one God and you're recognizing him as the one God. And not all the other stuff in the world. That It is good stuff and he's given it to us as a gift. But don't rely on it and love it more than him. One God, one heart. One God, one mind. So before Jesus talks about commandments, Jesus says, I'm going to give you information about God, who he is and what he's done. Who is God before you think about what he commands? What has he done before you think about what he wants? And you know, this weekend of Real Life Stories that's coming up, and we're going to be telling people who God is and what God has done. Not what he wants them to do. We don't want people to think that the church is just here to moralize and to moan about all the stuff in the world. We're not here to give them commands to obey. We're here to give people a God who loves and a God who's done things for us. So Jesus starts with grace, not duty. Yes, we have a duty to love God, but we'll only do it if we know what he's like and what he's done. And Jesus' message about God's initiative in loving us before we love him is not asking us to start the relationship or invent the relationship. We're simply asked to respond to it, to accept it, to deepen it. That's what God really wants. And here's how it works. When you realize that God loves you, it starts to change your heart. It's a little bit like the sun. You can't really spend any length of time in the sun without it changing you, can you? The tan that you lost over the winter, it starts to come back bit by bit, as you sit in the sun. The love of God is like that. You cannot spend any length of time experiencing God's love without it changing you. And you find that you start to love him and you start to love other people. That's why Jesus goes on to say in verse 31 that you're also to love your neighbor. You know, Jesus wasn't asked for two commandments, but he gives two commands love God and love neighbor. Because God love for God creates love for neighbor. And that's why when you become a new person as a Christian, you develop this love for people in church. Before you're a Christian, people in church are just irrelevant or annoying. Even after you're a Christian, some people in church can be irritating. But you do develop a new love for them. A new forgiveness and kindness for people. And if we fail to love others in the church, there's not only a problem with love for neighbor, but ultimately there's a problem with love for God. And a problem with not recognizing that he loved us first. Well, what does it mean if we're going to love God? I think it means... If you're going to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, I think it means at least being thankful, doesn't it? Being grateful for his love. I think it means opening our lives up to him, not having a little part of our life that's just in the cupboard and locked, where God can't get access, but loving him with all of our lives. And I think it means being useful to God, getting up each day and saying, take me, God, and use me today. Take my heart. Take my mind and use it. Take my strength and use it today. And what does it mean to love your neighbour as yourself? Well, we know how to love ourselves, don't we? We find it very easy to think of ourselves and what will benefit me. So think about what will benefit your neighbour and care about them. Jesus gets a question that's all about duty and he answers it with the gospel. Uh, It's as if this man comes to Jesus and he says, tell me what God wants me to do for him. And Jesus responds, I'll tell you what God has done for you. What God really wants, he wants you to, first of all, respond to his love for you. And secondly, and very briefly, how do we do what God wants? This is verses 32 and 34. Jesus finishes the answer to the question and the man is very impressed and he basically says to Jesus, that is an excellent answer. Very good, Jesus. I can see, says the man, that you are exactly right. That to love God and to love neighbor is exactly what God is looking for. And then this man says something very unusual, doesn't he? And you can see it there in verse 33. He says, to love God with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength, And to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now imagine that, standing right in the middle of the temple with all the sacrifices going on around, with all the sounds and the smells and the sights, and this man says, none of this matters at all, but loving God and loving neighbor. He says, Jesus, you have put your finger on a relationship that is much more important and much deeper than all religion and ritual. And it is. Take this building away. Take away the music, take away the screen and all the words, take away the font and the water, and take away the table at the front and all the ornate decoration. Imagine that this room is completely empty, no other people in it, just you and just God. What is it that really matters? Love for God. Knowing that he loves you and responding to that love. What really matters is a relationship, isn't it? And this man can see it. And Jesus says to him in verse 34, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Jesus says to the man standing in the temple, and you'd think he'd be pretty safe, wouldn't you? He's in the temple. He's in church, if you like. And he's asking Jesus interesting questions, good questions. And he agrees with Jesus and he says, Jesus, you're right. You would think that this man was safe. And Jesus says to the man, you're not far from the kingdom. Of course, it's possible to be a secular person and far away from God. It's possible to be a religious person and far away from God. And it's possible to turn up at church and to sing the songs and say the prayers and go through the motions, to go through the baptism, to take communion together and not have a relationship with God. It's like having two children, and one is a dream come true. Absolutely wonderful. She's an angel. She always does the right thing, tidies up her room, does exactly what she's told. The other one is an absolute nightmare. And she just, you know, drawing all over the walls at home. You go to the shop, she's an embarrassment in the queue. But neither child pays you any attention. There's no relationship between you and either of the children, even the good one, who always does the right thing. None of them love you. So what really matters? Does it matter that she always does the right thing? Does it matter that the other one's a nightmare if none of them love? What is it that really matters? Maybe this morning you can identify as one of those two children and you think, I'm a sort of tidy person, I've got my life together. Or maybe you're the other sort of person and you think, I've made a mess of my life. Is there any hope for me? Well, what is it that really matters? It doesn't matter that we're in church this morning. Nothing this morning matters if we're not relating to God with love for him. And this man here has come to see that God's not interested in empty ritual. He's not interested in pious rules. When we baptized Ellie Grace just a few moments ago, we prayed for her that she would grow up to love God. Actually, we prayed for her that she would grow up to realize that God loves her. Because to be honest with you, God's not so much interested in the water that was sprinkled on her head. What really matters to God is Ellie Grace herself. He loves her, and he wants her to love him. And this man has come to see that God is like a man down on bended knee, and he says, I love you. Will you have this relationship with me? And Jesus says to the man, you're not far from God. You're not far. He's not saying that with a tone of like, you know, just not good enough. Try harder. Not good enough. No, he's pleading with the man and he says, you're not far. I want you to come in. Come closer. Please. You're not far. But Jesus will not mislead the man outside the kingdom. He's not going to say to him, you know, you're a nice man. You're a nice bloke. All is well. He won't say, you're standing at the front door. That is absolutely fine. No, Jesus wants the man in. He says, you're not far. Come in. Step across the line. God loves you. Will you love him back? So what does God want? He wants us to love him. How do we do that? How do we come in? How do we respond to this invitation? I wonder if anyone could answer that question. Because we've read Mark's gospel over the past number of weeks. And you remember how it began. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. In other words, you step through the door and you say to God, look, I admit that I've been sitting on the step. I admit that I've been ignoring you all this time. I may have been like the the girl with the, the devil marks or I may have been like the girl with the little angel marks. I may have been living a life that was perfectly good but actually I don't love you. But I've realized and I've heard that you love me and I don't deserve it. But I'm responding to your love this morning and I'm coming in and I'm coming home. And that's it. You're in and you're home. That's what really matters to God. That he loves you and you love him back. Jesus talks to a man, and in a very few sentences, he turns the conversation from rules to relationship, from duty to grace. Because nothing is more more important to him than that. Well, let me pray for us. Our Father, we thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your only Son into the world, that whoever believes in him shouldn't remain outside your kingdom and perish, but come in and have everlasting life and know you as our Father. We pray that that would be true of us this morning, each and every one of us, that we would know that you love us and respond to your love with all of our hearts and our minds and souls and strength. In Jesus' name, amen.